Hello, and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief Washington Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, a lot to get to today, but I wanted to start with G. Gordon Liddy, who you probably saw has died at the age of 90. G. Gordon Liddy, the mastermind of that third-rate burglary over there at the Watergate building of the Democratic National Committee headquarters way back when. Uh, G. Gordon Liddy, I, 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 as I was you know, reading through the obits of this, uh, of this figure from a, from a political era long since past, um, I, was, I, I was thinking a lot about the Trump era and, and just how perfectly G. Gordon Liddy uh, would have fit in in, in in Trump land. I mean, like, you know, like Roger Stone, who was, uh, you know, a, a fellow traveler, uh, he was unapologetically uh, pro-Richard Nixon at a time when almost nobody was unapologetically or even apologetically pro-Nixon. Um, he is somebody who um, loved to own the libs before owning libs was a phrase that people used. Uh, the more shocking, the more offensive... Uh, the better. He served, I think it was some 52 months in prison uh, uh, for, for Watergate, uh, the longest of, of, of all the sentences. Uh, uh, he was actually, his sentence was actually commuted. Uh, he was released early at, when his sentence was commuted by, by President Carter, so that was interesting. Um, but when, when, when G. Gordon Liddy stepped out of prison, Rick, uh, he, he said, um, <laughs> said some re remarkable things. Keep in mind, this guy just served 52 months in prison. He said, I have lived as I believed, and I ought to have lived. He made it clear he had absolutely no regrets whatsoever uh, for, for, for what he had done. And he said this, when the prince approaches his lieutenant, the proper response of the lieutenant to the prince is fiat voluntas tua. And Rick, as you know, unless I've mangled the Latin, uh, that means thy will be done from the Lord's Prayer. So when the, when, when the prince, in this case the prince, Richard Nixon approaches and, and wants something, the proper answer of the lieutenant is thy will be done. So evocative of, 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 of the Trump lieutenants who would seem to do just about anything for their prince, Donald Trump. It's a fascinating insight, and you know there was there's there's um, a generation of operatives, I and mean, you put Liddy and Stone in this, who uh, saw Nixon not as a cautionary tale or you know an episode that can never be repeated again, but if anything, they thought one of the mistakes of the Nixon era was that there was any apology whatsoever. And uh, G. Gordon Liddy very famously uh, indicated throughout his life that he'd do it all over again. And, um, and, and, and made himself into a, a media celebrity. Um, you know, the only interactions I ever had with him were in the green rooms of, uh, of cable shows because he was still well into his, into his 70s and 80s, uh, a popular talk show host and a frequent guest on, on, on news programs. And, and I, I do wonder about that, that, you know, we know about the, 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 the connections that, uh, that, uh, Donald Trump had to people like Roy Cohn and Roger Stone and other unsavory characters throughout political history, and 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 I wonder if they had kind of a, a prototype or a godfather in uh, in in the late G. Gordon Liddy. Although although Liddy seemed to have a, a, an edge to him and, and a toughness uh, beyond which some of the rather sometimes comical and comically inept people that that, that we often saw around uh, Donald Trump. I remember when his when his book came out, Will. 
um, in, you know, I, I think I was, uh, was probably a freshman in high school. Uh, uh, but, but, you know, a book about the, uh, you know, where, where he talked about his Watergate uh, experience, but he also talked about, you know, he created his, this persona he had. And one of the things he talked about was how he, uh, he, he believed that the way you overcome fears is by exposing yourself uh, to whatever you're afraid of in, in the extreme over and over again. And he, he gives a few examples. Uh, uh, one, one example uh, that, that he gives is he had this, this terrible fear of rats. And uh, the way he overcame that is at one point he had a cat who killed a rat and he ate part of the rat. He said, I was not afraid of rats anymore. But the other one, the more, <laughs> the stranger one that I, for some reason, I just, I just it's one of those things you, you, you read and then you don't forget. Uh, he had a fear of lightning, which you can understand, you know, as a kid, you know. And, and, and what he did to overcome that was he he lashed himself to a tree in the middle of a of a thunderstorm, <laughs> and then said he was no longer afraid of lightning after that experience. So, uh, interesting guy. Um, also did a did, did did a tour of college campuses uh, uh, for for a time with uh, with Timothy Leary, kind of a an early uh, you know left right kind of a, kind of a thing, extreme left, extreme right. Whack, wacko one side, wacko the other. Uh, but, but just you know, uh, this is this is a guy that that um, I don't know. In so many ways, I I, I think would have uh, would have fit right in, in 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 Trump land. But but Rick, th this is uh, this is infrastructure week. I mean, am I right? This is infrastructure week. We, ba -ba -da -da. That's infrastructure week music. We should have it by now, right? Now. How long have we been waiting for da -da 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 -da. this thing? So, so we're going to get to that. We, we're we're going to be joined in just a, just a, just a few minutes uh, by Senator Tammy Duckworth, uh, who also has a new book out. Uh, one of uh, one of Biden's. Um, you know, we we remember that she was on the short list uh, for for his running mate back during the campaign. One of his uh, staunchest allies uh, on on Capitol. Hill. We're going to ask her about this. You know, uh, Biden's. Talking three trillion dollars, two different infrastructure bills, all this. So we're gonna we're gonna get to all that. But I also wanted to mark something else that was in the news here, and that is Congressman Matt Gates. Uh, New York Times uh, broke a story uh, yesterday uh, that, that that Congressman Gates, the Times says, had, had been in under investigation, is under investigation, Justice Department investigation into an alleged uh, relationship with an underage, a 17-year-old uh, girl, uh, including travel with that girl, which I guess would raise, you know, potential uh, uh, sex trafficking charges. So uh, that, that was the article. We all saw that article. I actually uh, spoke to, um, to somebody who had been briefed on the investigation, quickly confirmed uh, the investigation, uh, and uh, I was actually told that this investigation started, the time said it had started in the final months of the Trump administration. But, but I was actually told it was, you have to, final months, I mean, like more like the final six or seven months. It started uh, last summer. Um, and, uh, you know, still no charges, but the story's out there. But I, I bring it up because um, uh, Gates went on Fox News last night to talk about this with Tucker Carlson. And it is... It was quite an interview, so I thought, do you mind if we just play a few clips of this, Rick? Are you okay with that? I think Trevor's... Oh, I'm more than okay with that. Trevor's pulled some clips aside yeah, for us. Yeah, this is important stuff. Let's do okay, it. okay, so uh, so here we go. What, what, one thing that... that I want to start with this. Uh, uh, first of all, Gates said the allegations were entirely untrue. He said that uh, he was the victim of some kind of an extortion plot, but... 
But, but during the course of, of outlining all of that, Gates made a point to remind Tucker Carlson's viewers uh, that Tucker Carlson himself had once faced uh, allegations of sexual, uh, of sexual nation. Uh, take a listen to this rather odd moment. On Tucker Carlson. I'm not the only person on screen right now who's been falsely accused of a terrible sex act. You were accused of something that you did not do, and so you know what this feels like. You know the pain it can bring to your family, and you know how it, it just puts people on defense when you're accused of something so salacious and awful, but it did not happen. It is not true. And the fact that it is the basis of this attempt to extort my family tells a lot. And if the FBI and Department of Justice will release the tapes that they are in possession of, the American people will see what is really going on. You just referred to a mentally ill viewer who accused me of a sex crime 20 years ago. Um, and it, of course, it was, it was not true. I never met the person. I'm, I'm sure Tucker appreciated uh, Matt Gates bringing that, bringing that up. Um, but then Gates, Gates also uh, in, invoked, uh, brought up uh, another memory, one, one that, that Tucker actually did not have. Uh, anyway, l l listen to this. I can say that actually you and I went to dinner uh, about two years ago. Your wife was there and I brought a friend of mine, you'll remember her, and she was actually threatened by the FBI, told that if she wouldn't cop to the fact that somehow I was involved in some pay-for-play scheme, uh, that she could face trouble. And so uh, I do believe that there are people at the Department of Justice who are trying to smear me. I, I, I don't remember the, the woman you're speaking of or the context at all, honestly. Oops. <laughs> yeah, he didn't quite get that. And then, and then Rick, one, one, well, actually, I got a, one other part of the interview. Um, I mean, there, there was, as you can tell, there was a lot to this interview. But um, uh, this is where Gates brought up allegations that, as far as I could tell, had not been in the public record. They certainly weren't in the New York Times story. I, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe there's in the far reaches of the internet, somebody had talked about this. But anyway, the, he, he brought something up here, an allegation against him that I, I don't think most people, certainly not me, were, were aware of. I really saw this as a deeply troubling challenge for my family on March 16th when people were, you know, talking about a, a minor and that there were pictures of me with child prostitutes. Uh, that's obviously false. There will be no such pictures because no such thing happened. I mean, I, you know, I, I've never done a lot of media training, but I, I don't know if you haven't, if nobody has invoked the idea of pictures with child prostitutes, if you really want to bring that up on primetime television but uh but he denied it inject that into the realm yeah but yeah. you know he put it out there i mean i I'm, I'm sure that probably sent a lot of people to the internet looking for what he was talking about <laughs> it's going to be an interesting test case to my mind just just john in the, in the post trump era because you know we talk about g gordon liddy and the and the uh, what the trump playbook is here and you know you can imagine this being a different storyline potentially in in uh, with President Trump in office than it will be with with President Biden. But um, Matt Gates very closely associated with the MAGA movement um, has kind of remade his whole political persona around Trump and Trumpism, uh, and and now he's got a full blown scandal on his hands. So at, at the at the end of the interview, uh, Tucker Carlson thanked Matt Gates uh, for coming on his show, uh, bid him farewell. Uh, but then sometime after that, I, I guess it started to sink in on Tucker exactly just how odd that interview was, and Tucker said this. Matt Gates' interview, that was one of the weirdest interviews I've ever conducted. I don't think that clarified much. 
Uh, but it certainly showed this is a deeply interesting story, and we'll be we'll be following it. Yeah. Anyway, deeply interesting story. Um, so anyway, Rick, uh, you know enough about Matt Gates. Uh, let's take a quick break, and we will come back with Senator Tammy Duckworth. All right, welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. We are joined now by Senator Tammy Duckworth of Illinois, the current vice chair of the Democratic National Committee. You'll remember she was also an Army helicopter pilot during Operation Iraqi Freedom, and she is the author of the brand new book, Every Day is a Gift. Senator Duckworth, thank you for joining us on Powerhouse Politics. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. So at long last, we are here truly with Infrastructure Week. Uh, it feels like we've been waiting for this for about four years, um, but um, but we have a you know major new proposal uh, here from President Biden. Um, it really looks like it's a, a two part uh, a two part plan here that adds up to some three trillion dollars in spending. Uh, just straight on, what's, what what do you think? Big enough? Too big? What, what what do you make of what Biden's proposing? I think it's big enough. Um, you have to think of infrastructure all together, not just roads and rail and airports. But you have to talk about water, for example. We have significant water infrastructure issues in this country. Um, a lot of people are still drinking water from lead pipelines, for example. Um, we have to do inland waterways. The Mississippi, the locks and dams in the Mississippi are under severe disrepair. We even have you know, 20, over 20 million Americans who don't have access to broadband. So there is that infrastructure. There's infrastructure for the energy grid, a smart energy grid so that people have access to cheaper energy, but also that it's not hackable by our enemies, our adversaries who, you know, if you were gonna, if you wanted to mount an attack on the United States, uh, the best way to attack us is not going to, you know, the, the, the other guys are looking at, it's not gonna be, you know, sending tanks and, and, and aircraft over US, it's attacking our infrastructure grid is one of the most vulnerable places in, in this country. So there's a lot that needs to be done um, and I think this this is, you know, this is one of those once in a lifetime efforts that is going to really bring America back to the status of a global leader economically and create just so many jobs in this country that are so badly needed right now. You believe that this should be paid for? I mean, after all, we've been we've been on a deficit spending binge and uh, but but paying for it means raising taxes, significant tax increases. Are you comfortable with that? So there are some things that we, you know, that some of it will pay for itself uh, in terms of cost savings. I'll give you just first off for an example. It's estimated that in parts of this country, say West Virginia, for example, that only 25% of the water that is purified and sent through a pipeline to go and come out your faucet in your house, only 25% of it actually reaches your house. We lose 75% of the water in a state like West Virginia. And, and that's a similar number all across the country. There's a water main leak um, in this country every single minute. There's a water main leak somewhere. So we're gonna be saving money by fixing the, the, the water infrastructure. Um, there are things that um, actually industry have come to us and said, hey, it's time to raise the gas tax and index it to inflation. It has not been raised since 1992. And it was actually the trucking industry that came to us and said, we're, we're spending more money stuck in road congestion and, and fixing and repairing our trucks because of the bad quality of the streets in this country, we would rather raise the gas tax um, and, and, and pay that because that will save us money in the long run. 
But, but um, can and I so, ask you just just on mm -hmm. that? Uh, yeah. Ra raising the gas tax is obviously. I mean, I I think there's there's a very solid argument that that's that that's overdue. Uh, but it's also something uh, that is going to hit everybody, including a lot of people in this country who make less than four hundred thousand dollars a year. And of course, Biden had promised no tax increases uh, for anybody who makes less than four hundred thousand dollars a year. That that's going to hit everybody. Well, that's where we come in and we and we and we start talking about where what can we do to as we have done with tax credits for uh, families that are just getting by, right? Uh, in in the American Rescue Plan, which by the way, not a single Republican voted for, uh, we the, the credits, the tax credits, we put in there specifically for families under who make it under a certain dollar amount actually is lifting 50% of the kids who are in poverty in this country out of poverty. We I don't have a problem with with going and 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 and. Um, revoking the uh, tax uh, the, the tax cuts for the ultra rich and for large corporations that the Republicans passed just a few years ago that will not affect working families in this country. So there there are ways to do this. I'm happy to be bipartisan about it, but I'm going to. But the key thing here is that if we don't do this, it's going to cost us more in the long run in terms of losses to businesses, in terms of uh, um, uh, where the country will be in terms of not having the jobs that we need and. This infrastructure plan is going to bring jobs and dollars into your local economy. You can't just fix the water pipeline, you know, in one area and not the other. And what this will do is, you know, it's going to mean construction jobs, road building jobs, but it's also going to mean money for your local small business diner on Main Street that's going to benefit from the workers who are working and repairing the roads. So um, Janet Yellen has said this is something that will actually spur the, the economy and will actually grow the revenue um, and help this nation pull itself out of the crisis, both the economic crisis we find ourselves in as a result of the failures of the Trump administration. Senator Duckworth, I want to I ask about uh, another big issue in the news recently. You obviously wrote this book long before um, the, 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 the stories that have emerged just in the last few weeks of, uh, of discrimination against Asian Americans. Uh, but you write uh, quite movingly about your background, uh, the Thai Chinese mother and a, and a white American father. And, and there was an episode just about a week ago where you came out and said that you felt like the Biden uh, White House was not listening to the concerns about AAPI representation in the cabinet. You actually threatened to hold up any nominees uh, that, that that didn't advance diversity goals. I, I, and you backed down from that. And I, I understand that the Biden White House responded to your uh, to your threat there. But what was behind that? What was going on behind the scenes that, that led you to that moment where you said they made that pretty extraordinary statement to say, I'm not going to I'm not going to confirm any more nominees until we get some answers. Well, it, it was well over a year of um, uh, a Asian Americans being under attack in particular as a result of the actions of the Trump administration. Right? We had all this time during 2020 of a real demonization of Asian Americans and the use of hate rhetoric by the then president of the United States saying things like Kung flu virus and blaming Asian Americans uh, for this pandemic that he failed to handle. Um, and so there has been a, rate, a rise in hate crimes in this country against AAPIs. In fact, over 150% increase in hate crimes in our major cities in just the past year alone. And uh, just before this happened, I had just gone through a week where we had just had the Atlanta shootings and I had been inundated with um, members of the AAPI community calling me and saying, I'm afraid, I'm scared to go out on the streets. I'm scared to walk around, I'm scared. And for the past year, um, you know, we've been dealing with this. And then since the Biden administration had been in office, they had said that they were going to have a diverse cabinet that would look like America. And I've been sending them, you know, 
all sorts of diverse candidates, um, uh, those with disabilities, AAPIs, veterans, um, you know, Black, Latino, um, and yet there was not a single Asian American or Pacific Islander nominated for a cabinet position. And it was going to be the first time in 20 years that a president of the United States was not going to have a cabinet secretary of Asian or Pacific Islander dis, um, descent. And, and we got to this point where um, we were in a here in a in a in a meeting, um, and um, I said, "Listen, Asian Americans are hurting right now. We feel like we're continuing to be treated like an other, you know. Um, and if you read the book, you'll see that I talk about when I was in Asia growing up, uh, I was treated as an other because my dad was white. But when when I come to the states, I've been treated like almost AAPIs as an other, like I'm not quite American enough. Um, I talk in the book about my opponents and two different races using my my race against me my biracial um, ancestry as if that was just proof that i was not american enough um and so you know i just got to the point where, where i said listen you guys are going to have to pay more attention and and make the cabinet more diverse make the cabinet you know the, I, the head of, of these major agencies at least have one api nominated and i will tell you that the white house heard me they responded within 24 hours and they said, absolutely. And we're starting by putting a very senior staffer in the West Wing who will have the ability to say to the president or have the ability to say to his key advisors, wait a minute, you've overlooked this. And that person will be um, of AAPI descent. So I'm very pleased that they listened to me and reacted right away. And we are moving forward with several initiatives, the first of which is getting this staffer into the West Wing who will have the ability to stand up in meetings in the Oval Office and say, wait a minute, we got to pay attention to these AAPI issues, and they will help shepherd through more AAPI nominees. Senator, what didn't they get? I, I mean, I was, I was, uh, maybe, maybe I'm wrong in making this assumption, but I can only imagine that, uh, that, that you as a Democratic senator, you were on Vice President Biden's shortlist for, as a potential running mate, that, that going public with your concern was not your first, second, or third option. It had to be at the end of uh, some frustrating conversations or maybe the lack of conversations. What weren't they getting until this point? You shared this anecdote with reporters about Jen O'Malley Dillon, a White House aide, saying that you know, they're very proud of, of, of Vice President Harris, uh, who, who, of course, uh, is of uh, Southeast Asian descent. Uh, oh, but, South, she's South Asian. I'm Southeast Asian. Southeast she's South Asian. Asian. <laughs> sorry about that. Sorry. No sorry. Th thanks for the geography. Many, I appreciate many, the geography many, correction. Many, many flavors of Asians. You know, yes. I, I call us that we're like the Skittles, right? They're, we're all Skittles, <laughs> but there's many flavors of Skittles. We are the many flavors. So yes, that that was for me sort of the trigger point because I had said all of this and then, um, uh, 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 you know, the White House representative brought up without me prompting it said, well, there is Kamala Harris as the vice president. And she and I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I love Kamala. She's my sister. She's brilliant. And she and I came into the Senate together. Um, and she is as Asian as I am. We're both half Asian. But you would never say, you know, to to the, the Black Caucus, you have Kamala. There's no need to nominate any more uh, people, of, uh, you know, any, any more um, uh, members of the Black community to key cabinet positions. I mean, you wouldn't even say, hey, you've got a white male president. There's no need to have any more white males in the cabinet, right? So, so why would you say that to Asians? And, and I think that is illustrative of the otherness um, that AAPIs have been treated in this country. And I do talk about that in the book where I say, you know, you're always sort of like the other. You're always having to prove that you're American enough, that, that you're part of this country and people don't think of us on the one hand as a true minority because they, they there's a stereotype that we're all doctors and lawyers and accountants 
Um, we're not. We, there are many, many APIs who live in poverty who need help. Um, and, and, you know, and then others, uh, you know, see us as, um, you know, not quite a minority enough and that we can take care of ourselves. Well, if you talk to the two thirds of the victims of, of Asian anti-Asian hate crimes who are women in this past year, they would disagree with you. They would say, we need protection. I mean, you just saw that horrific video of the woman in New York City. She needed protection and nobody, people were watching her get beat up and no one came to her aid. Horrific. Um, Senator, I, I, I know we're, we're just about out of time. I, I was wondering if before you go, you would share with us uh, your experience on January 6th. We, we see this effort out there uh, by some to kind of whitewash the history already, even though it, it's very fresh in, in, in our minds uh, and it's not that long ago. Uh, but, 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 but you were there um, and, and, and you, you were there not only as, as a senator, but somebody who has served our country uh, in, in, in combat, uh, uh, paid uh, dearly uh, for that service. And here, uh, you know, you found, um, you know, the, 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 the Senate in which you serve, the Congress in which you serve uh, under attack. Yeah. I'm, well, my reaction to January 6th is... It, it, if you read the book, you, you really understand why I reacted the way that I did. I reacted with frustration and anger to Americans attacking our own nation's capital. And I wrote this book as a love letter to my country because my daughter had been saying to me, my six-year-old is old enough to realize that mommy is different. Mommy's in a wheelchair. Mommy can't teach me to ride my bike because she can't run alongside my bike. And my daughter started to say, but mommy, why did you join the army? Why did you go and let your legs get cut off? Could someone else have done that? Why did it have to be you? And she got me to thinking, and that's why I started to write the book. And the book is really a love letter to America and an explanation to my daughter that America is worth it. And I say to you that even after January 6th, what happened, America and this democracy is worth it. You know, I talk about watching America, uh, uh, you know, as a child in Southeast Asia, where after having lost the Vietnam War, we still were respected because we were the ones bringing aid around the world. I talk about being in poverty in Hawaii, selling roses out of a bucket to try to help pay the bills, you know, as a 15-year-old. But there were safety net programs. There was public school for free that I could go to. There was food stamps that helped keep me um, fed. And all of those things helped me graduate high school so that I could one day become a U.S. senator. Uh, I talked about serving in Iraq, even though I didn't believe in the war. And, and Everything that I went through um, with my shoot down and, and I describe in the book in detail what my buddies did to save me that created the second half of my life. The book is called Every Day is a Gift because every day since that day of the shoot down has been a gift. And that leads me to January 6th where I'm in the tunnels headed to the Capitol and, and the Capitol Police tell me that they have breached the Capitol. So I secure myself and my one of my staff members is actually an Iraqi translator who um, fled Saddam Hussein to come to the U.S. because he helped U.S. forces. And we barricaded ourselves uh, in a secure location with a third uh, staff member and waited to be rescued. And watching on TV, insurrectionists carrying the same red, white, and blue American flag that I wore on my uniform in combat. And they used, in some cases, that flag to beat down and break down the doors of our nation's capital. Betrayal is the best that I can describe how I felt and how I still feel today. But after all that, this democracy, this country, despite all of our divides and what happened then, is still worth it. We are, it's still worth working towards that more perfect union. And I, you know, if people read the book, maybe it'll give them an insight as to why 
I think we're all still worth it. And despite everything that happened on January 6th, we can still move forward because this is still the best democracy there is on the globe. We're not imperfect. We're messy. <laughs> and tell, let me tell you, I work in the United States Senate. I can tell you <laughs> how crazy it can get, but it is still worth it. It's still worth it for me to engage in my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, you know, who, who actually are trying to rewrite history and, 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 and claim that there was no violence that day. Uh, even though my entire my office was completely littered with broken glass and my door was dented from the battering rams that they used to try to break my door in. Um, it's still worth it. It's still worth fighting for. Wow, the the the, the door to your office uh, damaged by those trying to break in. That's that 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 must have been quite a sight to go back to see. Yeah, I went back to broken glass all over the floor because they tried to break through the the doorway that they came in that you saw on TV that they the windows and doors that they broke and and pushed in. One of my offices, my annex office, is right next to that, and they tried to break in that my window as well. It was completely shattered. Um, but it was triple pain and it has, um, and it held, thank goodness. But I'm, I'm still picking broken glass out of everything. I'll sit down in a chair at my desk and I'll find broken glass still to this day. And, and then you, and then you hear people talk about how well-behaved, uh, the, uh, the court protesters were, um, you know, one, one thing that, that you mentioned the, the American flags being held by, by some of the protesters, the, the thing that struck me as I was watching it unfold is that it seemed to me that the American flags were actually outnumbered by other flags. There were Trump flags. Of course, there were some Confederate flags. Um, but, uh, but, you know, so many of those were, were waving a, a flag that was not the American flag, you know? Yes, yes. Even during the Civil War, the Confederate flag had not made its way into the United States Capitol. To, to see that Confederate flag carried through the Capitol... You know, right there, that that iconic picture with uh, John Calhoun looking on the portrait of John Calhoun on the wall, looking on was really, really something that uh, I mean, my lord, uh, Senator Duckworth. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, thank you for coming on, and um, and 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 best of luck with the book tour. Every day is a gift. Uh, our, our I'm sure our podcast listeners will get out and buy it. Uh, but come back and talk to us again soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. And, and I won't ruin the story for people that that'll read the book, but um, you got to turn to page two hundred sixty-five. In in my view, and I, I'm not going to read the quote into the record, Senator Duckworth, because you've put it in print. <laughs> the the quote that you gave to a, a fellow a fellow senator uh, during what you called Babygate, as you were fighting to get your toddler <laughs> or your not toddler, your newborn on the floor yeah. uh, to to be able to breastfeed uh, in between votes. Um, it is incredible an incredible story and <laughs> it's part of your story so and you, you won thank that you. battle you won that battle i mean that, i won the battle know, i mean accept <laughs> the victories this that's that's that was good victory <laughs> for victory for working moms everywhere <laughs> thank you senator duckworth thank you guys that is all the time we have for powerhouse politics thank you for joining us uh thank you to adia robinson and to trevor hastings we'll be back next week